How y'all doing? Good. Have you decided the kind of talk that you prefer? You've heard so. How many of you heard so far? Thirteen. Let's ask the kids. Have you decided what kind of talk you want to hear? What do you want to hear? You want to hear how it got done, or do you want me to philosophize with you? How it got done. Okay. We got. The, can I take my coat off? Okay. There you go. <laughs> All right. How it got done. <laughs> I'm not sure what it is, but let me give you a quickie. Um, first of all, let me, let me say this, that I, I know a lot of people, and I'll probably say something maudlin myself tomorrow night and say that, you know, what, how fortunate we are to be in the presence of all you bright young people and, and so forth, and that you're the future of America. The main thing I am is I'm envious as hell. But you know what I'm most envious of? That you have something that very few people who have been talking to you and will talk to you have. You have options. Most of us have already set the course of our lives, and you have options. Each of you are going to have to answer the question of what, why, and how. The what's your choice. Certainly the what's been all of our choice. The why, I think, is the critical one. And I'm going to try and give you a little bit of the why in my case. My pop told me one time and created a real burden for me. He said, son, what you are is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. So the why, each of you has to answer. You'll have different motivations. Some of you are going to be, want, to, want to be rich. I hope more of you want to be happy. And believe me, there's a difference. The how, I'd like to leave you with this thought. As I talk about what I've done, I hope you'll see two messages. And I think you'll see the same gleam in the eye of virtually everybody who talked to you this morning, who's going to talk to you this afternoon, who talked to you tomorrow. And that is two things. Number one, my middle name is George Fun Gillette. I just came back yesterday from salmon fishing in uh, New Brunswick with Jack Nicholas. Uh, I'm leaving next Thursday afternoon to go to England to caddy in the British Open Golf Tournament for Andy North. I decided a long time before I had any idea that I could be successful that I was going to have fun. And that's a decision, that's an option that you all have. I made the option early in my life that I was going to have fun doing it. I had a second decision. That was that anything I did I wanted to do with style. When I got kicked out of college, I got kicked out with style. I made Time Magazine as I got kicked out of college. I was, I'd gone to Amherst College. I'll give you this in a quick summary. I went to Amherst College, 1958. You can check it, Time Magazine. There's an article in there about underachievers. I had the greatest discrepancy at Amherst between my predicted grades and my actual grades. <laughs> Compound that with the fact that my tuition was paying for the president's house, and I decided to have a party in it when he was gone one night. And, and I got myself in trouble. <laughs> but I think you'll see that same common denominator. I looked at the gleam in the eye when Doctor was talking about those marvelous little babies. We have four sons of our own that we're very proud of. Doctor, I, you've made such great progress. Thank the Lord none of ours needed you. But I'd like to have you around if they did. The second thing, though, is an element of called hard work. Most of you are blessed with an asset. That's called your intellect. And most of you would test in the genius level, I suspect, on intellect. 
Let me tell you that that is also a serious handicap. Because with that genius comes a real obligation. And most of you will be able, and perhaps you already have, been able to slide through your lives so far without really having to work very hard. Guess what? Those of us, I'm from upper Midwest, I'm from Wisconsin, I love to compete against the geniuses of the world. Walter Payton, Dr. J, you know when they scored most of their points? Fourth quarter. The superior athletes were tired, they let down emotionally, and the winners came through with hard work. Think through the notion of the difference. You'll see a gleam, a lot of people are having fun, and hard work. Okay, George Gillette. I'm 49 years old, born and raised in Racine, Wisconsin. The Midwesterners talk fast, so bear with me. My dad's a doctor. He was an ortho or a, a traumatic surgeon in Racine, Wisconsin. Uh, I had the great good fortune of, uh, of, of his leadership and the fact that he had a lot of fun in his life. Went to Amherst, went to a, a four-room country school, walked back and forth every day. Uh, uh, went to Amherst College in Massachusetts. Uh, didn't have the good fortune uh, of going to graduate school. Went right into the corporate world. My uh, second job, I went to work for Crown Zellerback as a paper salesman on the West Coast. My second job was we created a computer software company that became the most successful in the small business field. We had 53 major banks under contract that made me an awful lot of money. I didn't know what the hell to do with the money. My family was, was my dad was a doctor. He was not very good with money. And so I started buying farmland. And as luck would have it, and a little bit of skill in planning, they put the interstate through my farms. <laughs> and so I made some real money at a very early age of my life. Now, there, I would tell you how, in quotes, how I did it. Anybody could, go, could have gone to Madison, Wisconsin, or Springfield, Illinois, to see what the planners were saying as to what the potential route of that road was. I happened to get the most recent report and took an option on the farm. I then decided I was going back to graduate school, applied at Harvard, they turned me down. They said that my frustration level was too low and that I ever thought of becoming a management consultant. Well, I didn't know what the hell a management consultant was. And so I, uh, was, I, they set up interviews for me with McKinsey and Booz Allen. I spent four great years with McKinsey and Company. I was a 24, 25-year-old fella, traveled all over the world reorganizing companies. I tell you, you talk about being king of the hill. It was great. I got frustrated, though, being a staff person, decided to leave McKinsey, and with a friend of mine bought control of the Miami Dolphins. Now, how did I do it? My last name is Gillette. Now, the name Gillette over a telephone sort of sounds like the razor blade company, doesn't it? Well, I didn't explain to Pete Rosell when I called him in December of 1966 that my dad didn't own the razor blade company. <laughs> On the other hand, I didn't tell him he did. In fact, my dad says, our name, as you notice, doesn't have an E on the end of it. And I have one, he, dad always said that he has one fewer E and a lot fewer G's than the Gillette Blue Blades. So, so I started with a concept, and my concept was if I could work harder, if I could work smarter, and if I could control deals, I could find others who had capital but didn't have time or energy to put up the money. And that's what I did. I went down to Joe Robbie, December, Christmas Day, 1966, and convinced Joe that I could put together the money necessary to, to finish off the Miami Dolphins, uh, damn near finished them off, actually, but uh, to raise the money to, uh, to save the Dolphins. 
And so in January of 67, I went down to Miami as the business manager of the Miami Dolphins. Spent a great period of time down there, had fun, left and bought the Harlem Globetrotters. Now, the Harlem Globetrotters had been owned by Abe Saperstein. He had passed away, and it was owned by his estate. The Globetrotters made $80,000 the year before I bought them. And I bought them with some wealthy folks from Chicago, Potter Palmer, who had been my partner in the Harlem Globetrotters, or in the Miami Dolphins. And uh, it turned out to be an absolutely superb program. CNS Bank in Atlanta put up 110% of the money. We had some plans we proved to them or thought we could prove to them what we could do with it. It worked out very well. In a very short period of time, the Globetrotters made an inordinate amount of money. We created a cartoon series. We uh, perhaps marketed that cartoon series to many of you, and you decided to bring your parents to the Globetrotter game, and it worked out very well. The Globetrotters became very successful, so much so that the Internal Revenue Service started to come knocking on my door. It said, you've got too much money in the bank. It's called an accumulation of profits problem. The question was what we were going to do with it. I said, well, it's there because we're going to do acquisitions. And they said, fine, do one. <laughs> so I did one. We bought radio stations, and they became very successful. 1975-76, my partner decided to go one way. He had gone through three marriages. Uh, the last two, he married Barracudas. And they were the kind that don't eat flesh, they eat pocketbooks. <laughs> and so uh, uh, he went his way, and, and I started on my own. 1977, I started a, a new company with a small amount of money, a lot of energy, and, uh, and a desire to have a lot of fun. And uh, the first thing I bought was a, a, a meatpacking company in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and three little television stations that were losing an awful lot of money. And all I had really at that point, I was out of money, and all I had was energy. And we did two things at that point. Number one, in every case, we have worked hard at understanding what our customer wanted. In the case of the meatpacking business, we identified that the housewife was much more interested in cholesterol, low cholesterol, and low calories. And so we created, uh, starting in 1979, the only company dedicated solely to producing choice lean beef in America. And it's far and away the largest producer of choice lean beef today. And it's become inordinately successful. I bought that company, and you say you want to hear how I did it, I'll tell you the numbers. I bought that company in 1977-78. I put $240,000 cash in that company. Not much money. I mean, it's a lot of money relatively to where I was, but not much money looking back. In the last nine years, we have taken out $125 million cash from that investment. And that's been the money that's enabled me to really become aggressive in terms of the acquisition of television stations. Then we bought these three small television stations. They became increasingly successful. We stepped up, bought a television station here in Nashville, Channel 4. One of the conditions of the seller was that we live here in Nashville. So my wife and four children and I packed up, and we came here to Nashville. It's been a phenomenal six and a half years. That television station has become the number one television station in America. It's uh, the number one news station in America, and very profitable. That's worked well. We've had an awful lot of good luck. The most important thing, though, is number one, we've had an awful lot of fun. And number two, we've worked very hard. And number three, we've had the support of an awful lot of very good people. My wife, Rose, our two boys are over there. Mike Milken in the back of the room. Oh, is George Roberts here? Colbert, Kravis, and Roberts, the largest buyout fund in the country, formed a joint venture with me, and we just bought store broadcasting for a billion three. Uh, it's been the most unbelievable story. It's a story of fun, hard work, and great partners. That's our story. That's how it got done. Any questions? My name is Megan Price, and I'm from Oklahoma. And I have two questions for you. The first is, when you were thinking about you know, investing your money and everything. Did you just research 
the investments yourself, or did you go to a consultant to ask for it? Since you hadn't, you know, been to graduate school or anything like that, did you just do it on your own by instinct and by what you learned? A graduate school can be an, either an asset or liability. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and we, I did it myself uh, for the most part. What I did, I, I mean, I'll, t I'll t just quickly, uh, uh, what I did on my 25th birthday, my mother gave me a Christmas, or my 25th birth, my Christmas in the 25th year, my mother came to me with this gorgeous, beautifully wrapped uh, a box. And all I could think of was it was maybe a watch or maybe something else special that had been in the family. And I opened it up, and it was beautifully wrapped and, and so forth. And I opened it up, and it was a stack of phone bills. From the time I, and I don't know where this came from, from the time I was 16 years old, I subscribed to the Wall Street Journal, the Chicago Tribune, the Milwaukee Journal, and the New York Times. And I got those four newspapers, thanks to my folks. And I started answering want ads on businesses that were for sale. There's a section in the newspaper called Business Opportunities. And what happened again, George Gillette is my name. I happen to be George Gillette, Jr. When they would call the banks in Racine for credit references, my father was a very successful surgeon. And he certainly had the resources to buy any business that I looked at. And so I allowed the seller to educate me. I, I didn't have the money and I didn't certainly have the means, but I had the interest. So I started at a very early age looking at businesses. And by the time I was 25, I, I had looked at an awful lot of businesses. And uh, so that's how I started. My second question, just really quickly, is are you interested in adopting a 17-year-old girl? <laughs> <laughs> no, but my 18-year-old son is sitting two seats behind you. <laughs> From Superior, Wisconsin, so Who are you? Nice to Did hear you, another You asked a question talker. last night, didn't you? Yeah. You're a um, questioner. Oh, yeah. Um, I was just curious. You gave us the how. Um, now, besides being having fun, what's your biggest philosophy in life? In well, summary. Think, number one, number one, hard work. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's critical. Number two, the understanding of the customer, the notion of quality and service. And number three, the fact that there's a higher road that one can follow. I don't think you have to get into the, into the gutter. I don't think that you have to be a disassembler. I don't think that you have to be a raider. I think that, I think that you heard uh, George Roberts this morning. I don't know of a, of a group that, ha that has higher standards than the Colbert, Kravis, and Roberts group. We create, they create jobs. Sure, they sell off some businesses, but they sell them off in better shape. They've created more jobs in the process. Research and development is not cut, uh, and so forth. So I think there's a higher way to do it, a better way to do it. Customer, hard work, quality, and excellence. Thank you. Okay. You made the comment that money was not happiness, and to hear 1.3 billion roll off your tongue, that's, it's kind of hard for us to relate. So I'd just like you to tell us what to you is happiness, and why is money not happiness, and how do you justify having so much? <laughs> you know, I thought today, I called the bank a little too late. I was going to bring a million dollars and set it right here. I wasn't going to leave it. <laughs> and I was going to bring it to try and emphasize to you that the kinds, of, the kinds of standards, the kinds of objectives that many would go for, i.e., a stack of money, are really very transitory in nature. L let me just ask you all a question. There are an awful lot of people who are very, very, very rich and damn few of the rich people I know who are very, very happy. 
What does that tell you? Money doesn't buy happiness. You can't buy happiness. Now, now if, if I could try and communicate that, I, I hear it. This is a subject we ought to talk about a little longer sometime. I would tell you, however, that if one attempts to achieve happiness, you will become fabulously successful. But if you try and get rich, the odds are you will compromise your standards. Don't compromise your standards. Go to be happy. Now, what is happiness? To me, the definition of those who I have known who are truly happy are people who have been given a finite amount of assets and have used them to the fullest. And I don't care whether that's a ditch digger. The happiest, truly the happiest people I have ever known in my life are the handicapped. And the happiest families I have known are the families that have handicapped children in them. They are beautiful, they are wonderful, they're charitable, and they're giving. Please think that in your lives, the people you've known who've been happy, and I challenge you that the happiest people I know are the ones who have used the resources God gave them to the fullest. The ones who have made money are rarely happy. Set out to do the best with the ability God gave you. I promise you the vast majority of you will also be successful. Thank you.